0: welcome to another episode of Associated. I'm here with my lovely co-host Lois today. Lois, how are you feeling in this purgatory of lockdown?
1: (laughs) I'm feeling feeling good today, thanks, but I have to say it's a take each day as it comes kind of period at the moment, isn't it? Some days I'm like, it's fine, it's going to be Christmas soon, it's lovely and cosy, Um, And other days, I'm just filled with existential dread about whether I'll ever see my friends again. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Existential
0: dread is a heavy one. I was just telling our (laughs) guest before we started recording that I feel like I'm living the same day over again. And I've actually had to, like, anchor myself to these little bits of joy, like ordering a new candle from Amazon or going to a different supermarket just Mm -hmm. to, like, inject you know, some sparkle into the routine.
1: Yeah, I absolutely identify with that. I think, unfortunately, commerce is <laughs> something that brings us all a lot of joy and can actually anchor us in the real world. I did the same thing. I actually got my PlayStation 5 delivered today, which I pre-ordered very, very weeks nice. ago. Cool. That's joy.
0: Um, who are we speaking to today? This is actually someone who when we were still working in physical offices, was working very, very close to where I was in Soho. We're co-focused, I would say, on an on investment sector, which is construction and prop tech. Um, everyone say hello to Esha Vatza from PyLabs.
1: Hello, Esha. Welcome onto the podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. We're very excited to have you.
0: No, thanks for having me.
2: I'm very excited to be on.
1: So as I was saying, we've met a few times
0: before when, you know, we were just around the corner from each other. And I I forget who who actually introduced us. I believe it was another prop tech investor or a real estate Mm. investor. Is that correct?
2: I'm trying to think. It was a while back, uh, wasn't it? And um, I do remember that you actually posted um, about a great uh, candidate who was looking for a role at a startup in one of the groups that we're on. Right. So maybe that's how we got connected. But I, I remember having that coffee and, you know, finding out that you actually invest in PropTech and contact as well. So yes, uh, yeah. that, that was a great surprise.
0: Yeah, no, yes, exactly. I think that's how we met is through um, a WhatsApp group. And you also know my co-host Lois.
2: Yes, definitely. I mean, Lois, you know, we know each other now for a few years, looked at a few deals together
1: as well. So yeah, good to be chatting. Great. Mm-hmm. We're a little triumvirate of PropTech investors today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: and so so why don't you tell us about what pi labs is because you guys are the most active within the Proc tech space is that correct mm-hmm. in Europe. yeah
2: yeah that's right um so you know i'll give you the quick two-minute intro uh, that we investors usually give to all the founders that we speak to so Pi labs is an early stage venture capital fund we're based in london um, but we're unique in the sense that we're PropTech-focused, so that's our sector focus. We only invest in PropTech. We really like to come in at the seed stage, anything from you know, doing pre-seed to late-seed rounds, and you know, very comfortable investing in two or three founders that have just come together with a great idea and want to just build a product out all the way to when you've got the product out in the market, you're making a little bit of revenue, but you're not at Series A stage um, yet, and invest in PropTech, which, you know, is actually quite a broad sector. Um, as you would know, Petra, you know, it's not as niche as some investors think, uh, which is actually quite exciting. And we invest across across Europe, so that's our core market. We have investments in the Nordics, we've got a few in the dark market, um, others in Eastern Europe, obviously here in the UK. So... Yeah, we've been investing across the continent so far.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome, and and definitely, I mean, I think prop and we can get into this um, a little later in, into the podcast. But prop tech, construction tech, real estate tech in general, I think. Is, is much more varied and a lot more exciting than what people think. And definitely what I thought, you know, when I started at and was more looking into the, the construction space. So I, I think it's, it's a fascinating um, sector and obviously very, very lucrative and, and valuable. How did you get into this space? Uh, That is a very
2: interesting um, question. Um, So this sort of goes back to, you know, the last job that I was in before I shifted careers and moved into venture capital. I was in transaction services, I was working back home in Delhi, um, and I was working across all sectors except technology, um, believe it or not. So, you know, financial services, telecom, even oil and gas, I can't believe it myself. and. Interestingly, I just wanted to sort of explore the startup space. You know, I was reading a lot about how some companies were getting the billion pound valuation and getting that unicorn status within two, three years. And all the companies that I was looking at in my last job, you know, took one or two decades to, you know, get there. So for me, that space is just getting very fascinating. And I decided to try it out um, to start with anyway. So it started with working at an edtech startup alongside my full time job. This was back home in you know Delhi, and this company was building a super fascinating product. Um, it was an interactive learning platform which was to be sold onto to schools and I really enjoyed working with that team. I loved the autonomy that that job offered me and the impact that I could have so you know, with that in mind, I just decided that I wanted to completely shift my career and also the country that I was going to be working in next. So decided to move to London, um, actually to my MBA when I first got here, uh, which was about five years ago, and also decided to completely shift into and move into a new industry. So this was all pretty daunting, but there was a little bit of luck involved in this process. Because one of the partners um, at PyLabs actually just reached out to me and said, do you want to you know, grab a coffee? And you know, it, that led into a full interview, which led into the role that I am in currently. So it's interesting when um, people say to me, and I actually give this advice, that you never know where your next job is going to come from, if it's going to be from a recruiter or somebody from your network or somebody just reaching out to you as it happened with me. So that's how I got in. That is a really cool
1: journey. And how long have you been at Labs now? I've been here now for over three years. Cool. And I was just wondering, like, in that time, how has your role changed? Like, given that you did quite a few different things before getting into the kind of investment Mm -hmm. industry, how has the learning curve been for you? And what do you think changed since you first walked through the door, uh, metaphorically, but also physically, Mm -hmm. to now?
2: Definitely. I mean, lots has changed. I think... You know, when you're new to venture, especially if you're investing at this sort of early stage, all of it can be quite daunting because you come across sometimes founders that are just way more smarter and are just so much more ambitious. And it's important, at least for me. You know, the first six months were about just learning about the industry, about real estate. I hadn't, you know, worked in real estate myself before, so just getting to grips with what is real estate and who are the stakeholders and how do we sell and so on and so forth. But equally for me, um, the biggest learning curve was just around building my own internal benchmarks of what a great founding team looks like? Because at the end of the day, seed investing is such a high judgment space. There's never, you know, enough data about either the company or the market. And so how do you build that conviction to make an investment and really own that deal? And you sort of get that over time once you've met like hundreds and hundreds of founders and looked at their ideas and maybe done a few good deals and a couple of bad ones as well. So I just feel like in venture, you've got to be patient and you've got to be open to learning and open to meeting as many people as you can and just like try and build your internal benchmarks, which I did, I think in the first year and um, coming out
1: of that, I feel like I'm able to hold my decisions and sort of have a point of view. Yes, great. No, I totally understand that. I really identify with that actually and I think we have been in Uh, relatively similar roles for a relatively similar amount of time so I really identify with the journey that you just described and I think actually confidence and conviction is something that you know everyone's different and you can gain those skills and that kind of behavior at different times but it's certainly something that is really honed with a bit of time and with working with a great team but how exactly does your role uh, fit into the rest of the Pi Labs team because I know it's Quite an interesting structure, the way that the fund works. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the things that you do kind of day to day and how that Mm -hmm. uh, works within the context of the whole team.
2: Yeah, no, sure. Um, So yes, we're a bit unique in the sense that while we're a venture capital fund, uh, we also run an accelerator program once a year. So we take on about five to seven very early stage companies through that very structured program. And I think the genesis of that really is, you know, when the firm was sort of set up five years ago, PropTech was, you know, not even a word, no one was really looking at that sector in that space. And so, probably made sense at that point to have an accelerator program where you're just getting prop tech companies to join you. And that is something that has just stayed with us. We found some really great businesses through the program. So we sort of run that every year, but we are at the end of the day, a venture capital house. So we're investing in following on in uh, companies and doing all the great things that, you know, any other VC would be doing. I sit in the investment team. So I'm a part of the investment team and really I do everything investment related. So finding companies that we would like to be investing in, you know, due diligence them, managing portfolio, taking board positions um, while we're leading the deal. So doing everything end to end. And over the past few months I've also been involved very interestingly in fundraising. So we're raising... The third fund right now and as a part of that process I'm just getting involved talking to the investors about our portfolio companies and how they're doing and so on and so forth so that's been a, an interesting change in my role um, very recently
0: which um, which I'm actually you know enjoying a fair bit, bit that sounds super exciting and it's also um, I guess a way to build other skills, not just selling the fund to, you know, entrepreneurs, but in a way, advertising and and propositioning, you know, institutional investors to provide more capital into high labs. Or do you feel yourself being stretched by this this process? Or is this something that you've been doing before potentially, you know, at your last company? Yeah, I mean,
2: it was definitely, um, at the beginning, I did feel a bit stretched um, because you never know, you know, institutional investors have a bunch of different questions and you never know where they're going to come in from. So it's very much about really knowing everything about your portfolio companies and really being able to do justice to them as you're speaking about what they are doing. Usually I find that no one can do a better job explaining the product um, than the founder of the business. So I've just started listening into everyone's pitches more often just to really grasp the meaty bits and be able to you know really do justice to them in these conversations. So it did feel like I was a bit stretched at the beginning, but I think I'm getting a bit comfortable with it all now. So I actually empathize so much more with our founders when they say that you know fundraising is just super tedious you're sort of repeating the same things and you know you're distracted from everything else I do empathize with that a little more than I did before I was involved
0: with fundraising at the fund as well. Um, I'd actually love to talk a, a little bit more about what you look at within PropTech because your portfolio really covers everything in and around real estate and and property, whether it's data analytics or you know an investment platform for real estate, how would you break down the different sectors that you're looking at? Do you also prioritize certain subsectors over Mm. another?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So you know we define Proptech quite broadly and we're actually redefining it as we go because it's such a nascent sector you know it's constantly evolving we look at everything real estate related really so you know whether that is about how do we design buildings uh, better how do we construct and are there any technologies we could be using to Um, reduce cost overruns or uh, reduce the time that it takes to build buildings or can we have more sustainable technologies or materials that could be used in the construction process all the way to what sort of services should be um, offered within real estate and what should that look like and we also look for overlaps with any other sector really so you know whether that's fintech or insure tech, or even more industrial segments of the real estate market. So whether that's logistics, data centers, warehouses, and so on and so forth. So the remit is actually quite broad. And we look at B2B uh, business models as well as B2C, we've invested in both. So we're pretty comfortable investing in either one of those two. The only thing that I'd say we'd probably not do is invest in hardware Startup. We prefer to invest in scalable sort of technologies within PropTech. But apart from that, you know, anything that has any overlap with real estate is one that's super interesting for us. So, you know, just to give you an example of a recent deal um, that we did, it's a deal in the legal tech space, actually. And when you look at that deal on the face of it, you know, you wouldn't think it's a prop tech investment, but this company is helping automate the setup of what they call wealth containers. So these would be SPVs or funds that, um, you know, VCs are setting up. And instead of going to a lawyer or a corporate services provider, you can just set up your legal documents and set up your entity and manage those entities on their platform. And it's really product that's transforming the end user experience, um, which we totally loved. So they go reached out to us and they said, look, we want to create a real estate product um, by the end of it all. We've got VC clients and we've got hedge funds on our books right now, but you know, real estate is super interesting. And we made the investment um, only a few months ago, and we're helping them build out their real estate proposition. So that's a really I think, good example of a company that doesn't seem like PropTech at all, but actually there is an interesting real estate element to their product.
1: Yeah, I see how PropTech actually can be quite broad. It's a little bit like FinTech, I think, in that initially when you consider it, you wonder if it's quite niche, but actually because of how many different aspects of the area there are and how many adjacencies, it actually ends up sort of spreading out into this quite vast um, focus area and I I guess like it's interesting to hear about the legal side of things as well because it kind of feeds into a question that I wanted to ask you around or to talk about more around regulation and um, uh, sort of governance around around prop tech and real estate and I know particularly with kind of sustainability that's a topic that's really hot at the moment Um, and i just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about how that interest has developed since you've been at high labs and kind of where you thinking is on it now?
2: Yeah, I mean, this space has, I think, evolved rather quickly across sectors, hasn't it? But I think I initially thought that, you know, it'd be just something that's topical uh, within real estate, but actually it isn't. Um, what we're seeing is our own LPs who are real estate companies. So some of them are FTSE listed real estate developers others are asset managers and we're constantly talking to others as well what we're hearing from everyone is we just don't want to talk about esg anymore we actually want to set these goals for our wider portfolio so i think gpe which is one of our lp is a great example of that because they've just recently issued a sustainability statement so these are sustainability goals for their entire portfolio and they've said exactly what it is that they want to do and they want to work with startups um, to deliver on those goals. So now that's become really, really interesting and so much more concrete to me at least than it ever was. So that's been a big change in real estate over the
1: last few months. And it's slightly tangential, but just to pick up on something you said, how do you personally and at PyLabs think about what a mission-driven business really means and how important that is to you.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're financial investors. So we're looking to invest in companies that, um, you know, have a great product uh, that their customers are going to love, that their customers are going to buy. And hopefully, you know, as investors, we're going to money at the back of, uh, to put in crude words. So, you know, we're financially driven completely. We don't have an impact focus or um, angle here, but um, this is just something that we'd like to be able to see um, sitting nicely next to financial uh, returns that companies can offer back. So we, you know, look for an ESG angle within the companies that we're looking at. It's not a must have, um, but if we see that, then, um, you know, it just makes the opportunity a bit more interesting and compelling for us as investors as well.
0: Got it. And I mean, this is a little bit of, um, I'm playing devil's advocate, I guess, a little bit here. I, I was on a an ESG call a few weeks ago, and this one was actually quite critical, even though I feel going forward the investments into sustainable um, technologies is, is increasingly important. They felt, and, and studies had shown, that the returns were always below benchmarks. So social impact funds always performed below the returns of you know a, a more vanilla or a regular fund. And, and this was in, in the private equity space, so perhaps in VC it's a little bit different. But I guess, what's your opinion of, of people who critique or don't think that corporating ESG investments is uh, necessarily financially lucrative?
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that a lot. Um, and interestingly, I worked at an impact fund uh, before, uh, back in India, actually. And they were investing in edtech tech and financial services and health tech, uh, but in sectors and in companies that were serving the base of the economic pyramid um, in these developing markets. So this is the vast majority of the population that largely goes unnoticed. Startups. So most startups are catering to those that can pay them the highest price for their product, and they had a very interesting sort of thesis around this, which was that if you're going after the you know the bigger portion of the population in a developing market and you're offering a product to them that um, they really need, why you can't charge as much as you could have from the rest of the crew? You're just by because of the scale of it all. You're just still making more money on average. Uh, So, you know, they had an interesting thesis around that. And I I don't believe that their uh, return expectations um, back to their LPs were much different to those of, you know, a generalist VC that's very much just focused on financial returns. So I do believe that in the end, um, the two can coexist and one doesn't have to, overweight the other um, if you see what i mean um so i think there is room to coexist there
0: yeah i i completely agree i think that was really helpful for you to articulate as well for me and in, in particular who's trying to build a bigger esg platform within manta and, and likely for a lot of other investors who are listening to the call who are kind of thinking about incorporating esg in in some way into into their investment decisions um,
2: yeah. That was really helpful. Yeah. I mean, one other thing on this point that I'd say is this isn't a space that I'd say most investors have looked at, at least not in Europe. So it's sort of important to like have Experts or people who have just looked at sustainability and ESG related products and strategies and so on to join VC funds. That's something we've done ourselves. So we've got an ESG um, sustainability focused venture partner who for I don't know 10-15 years has just been working in that space and he's someone that's actually working with our companies and working with us and evaluating these new products that are you know coming out um, that we're looking at so I think that's one way of really focusing on these companies
1: and evaluating them with with that in mind that's such a cool role to have within the fund. Do you know if that's replicated across any of your like close competitors?
2: Um, not that I'm aware of. This is something that we've been thinking about and building out on our own over the last few months. So
1: I, I don't think that it is replicated, actually. Wow, well, that's amazing. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because I'm just curious about how... You said you've been thinking about a lot within the fund. Do you remember or were you there for the inception of that discussion? Do you remember what prompted it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it just sort of comes down to our sector focus in the end, right? Um, We're PropTech-focused investors. And what we're hearing from our investors, who are all these strategic real estate um, companies, as well as everyone else in our network, is this is... Top priority for us. We would like to use products and work with companies uh, to help improve our sort of overall impact on the climate and the environment. And uh, can you find us, you know, companies as well as partners who can help us deliver on that plan? So I think that's definitely something that you know we've heard and are working on on ourselves to just make sure that our platform is robust enough to. Um, help us due diligence all these companies that we're looking at because i'm not a sustainability expert so i can look at a company and founding team and the market opportunity and do all that nice important stuff but who is really going to look at the product and See whether this product is one that actually solves the problem that they hope it will solve. So I think that's what prompted us to bring on board someone that can help us deliver on our ESG investment plan.
1: Yeah, great. No, that makes total sense that like you would necessarily want to invest in like having that capability on board. I can see that. Yeah.
0: Um, And and in terms of the team structure and also how the deals come to you and and flow through the team, how does that work with Pilab? Are you sort of the first point of contact or is there a screening process before the company comes to you?
1: Mm.
2: So we're a small investment team of like four or five people. Um, So we sort of do everything and anything, you know, when it comes to deal flow. Uh, so there, there are times when, um, you know, I'll get on the first, second call myself um, and talk to founders. Um, there are other times when one of my colleagues would just sort of do that and we would talk about that deal and, um, you know, decide if we wanted to do and have another call with the founder or not. You know, we also catch up as a wider team team. On a weekly basis, we're just talking to each other constantly. So we're very dynamic and sort of fluid about how we move deals through the entire process. One completely depends on, you know, who reached out to the founder or, you know, who got that deal in the first instance. But it also sort of depends on who's looked at that sector before and who is best placed to sort of just jump in and help out and so on and so forth. So we're a small team, we're pretty fluid about how we run our deals, but usually there's like one owner, somebody that is building a conviction behind that deal, maybe one or two other people that are just sort of supporting on that deal to make sure we're thinking about all the things that we should be thinking about and we're not missing anything anywhere. So, um, yeah, that's how we sort of run our deals. It's not as structured as some of the larger funds where you've got like bigger teams and, you know, you might have like two or three separate deal teams or two or three teams that are focusing on different geographies or different sectors. We kind of just, you know, tend to do
0: a lot um, at the same time. Okay, got it. And and so because we do have entrepreneurs and founders listening in, is there a um is there a sector that you're super interested in right now that if um they've potentially founded or thinking of founding a company within the space that they can think, okay, I need to get in contact with Esha.
2: Yeah, I mean we've talked about ESG a lot, sustainability a lot today. So uh, you know anything sustainability related um that overlaps with real estate is I'd love to chat with Founders that are building startups in that space. Equally, we're researching a lot about real estate investment management. So, you know, really looking at uh, companies that are helping investment managers analyze data about their portfolio of, you know, buildings or investments that they have made on a more Um, structured basis on a more real-time basis would be quite interesting Um, at this point for us we're diving deep into this space so that's just one sort of use case so to speak um, we're sort of looking at but anything uh, anyone is doing within the real estate investment management space I'd be quite keen to talk to those
0: founders as well. Great cool then let's move on to question time. Uh, Lois, do you want to start with the
1: first question? Yes, I will indeed. Actually, we'll start question time. We're going to do three quick fire questions. Some of them are sort of this or that questions. And then we'll do another that's a little bit of a deeper dive into what you're interested in, who you are, um, as a person, I suppose. <laughs> um, so let's kick off with an easy one. So when you are looking at a new company and you've, well, <laughs> in a past life, gone to meet the founder for the first time, or in this life, logged onto Zoom, um, what's the thing that tends to capture your interest most within a pitch? What do you really like? get energy from talking about? Is it uh, the team and their backgrounds? Is it the product and the roadmap and what's developed so far, or is it something else? Mm.
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, team always, above everything else. I think what I really find very impressive about teams that we've invested in um, and looked at is what what's that unique insight that this team has that makes them the right team to solve this problem. I think if that comes through very clearly in the conversations that I'm having with the founders, then I'm, you know, likely to just get very excited very quickly. And it also sort of, as an investor, helps you build conviction rather quickly in those companies and in those people, doesn't it? Because whether you're a sector-focused investor or if you're, whether you're a generalist investor, you're not thinking about what are some problems that, you know, I would like to be solving or um, what are some problems that should be solved. Those are the kinds of insights that founders come to you with. And if they can articulate um, that insight very clearly. And if you walk out of that room thinking, oh, I learned something new and that's not something you know, I thought about at all. Then mm. that is something that will just, you know, it's like you just catch my attention and it's like you do also stick with me.
1: Yes. No, I totally know what you mean. And also, I think there's definitely something in being surprised by that. So often when we talk about why is this team the team that's going to solve this problem? It can be quite easy to fall into a pattern of thinking about quite traditional reasons, like maybe they used to work in that area or something. But Actually, what I often find is that I can be surprised by the varied reasons why people with personal experiences or like real passion or all of these reasons, I think, actually end up really captivating my attention so I can totally see why that would be the thing that, that you'd want to talk about. Yeah,
2: and I think one great example of that is a company, a fintech business, you know, we invested in last year. And the founder of that company has absolutely zero background in in the mortgage space, in fintech. I mean, he was working at a hedge fund before, but when he walked through the room and he sort of talked about all the research that he had done, and how he was sort of able to answer every challenge that we put out there uh, to him and actually just convince us in that one hour long meeting that we had with him. I think that was one of the most impressive meetings that I've been in. So I think
1: that's the sort of thing that you're looking for from the founders that you're investing in. Yes, exactly. Okay, super cool. Um, Right then, uh, let's see, what's question number two? So this one's a bit more extracurricular. In terms of fitness, are you the type of person who might prefer uh, fitness classes, like, I don't know, CrossFit or group activities? Or do you prefer to go solo, like jogging or something? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> definitely group activities you know with a group of you know people who are very passionate about doing that one thing um before the pandemic when the gyms were still open um I was going in for my body pump classes every other day um and that was something that I was hugely enjoying and I completely miss right now um but I'm very much a group um exercise kind of person rather than you know running around the city by myself
1: Yes, cool. I totally see that. I think there's definitely something in camaraderie that makes exercise easier. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And the music. Mm, Yes, especially in London. So many fun classes. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, I love how, uh, you know, curated playlists that just uh, keep you going for that one hour takes a lot of work off off my
1: plate. (laughs) I love that as well. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Great okay the last question then that I wanted to ask you uh, is one that I asked um, another guest a couple of weeks ago and I realized that actually the answers to these make quite a nice resource Um, and it's so it's a little bit selfish that I'm asking this question but it's personal interest. I want to know if you have a favorite book or is there a book that you like frequently recommend to people or are you reading something amazing right now? Yeah, I
2: mean, one book that I can't recommend enough, and this is a book that, you know, I read a few months ago, this is a recent read, is this book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'm not sure if you both have read it yet or not. Um, I've actually got it right in front of me right now. Um, And it's a book about how we are just not logical thinkers. Like as much as we would like to think that we are very logical and very rational creatures, um, we actually are the exact opposite. And uh, Daniel Kahneman, who's a a researcher, uh, who's also won uh, the Nobel Prize for his research um, on the topic, has written a full book to prove that uh, to you. So it's actually a fascinating read, one that you can go um, chapter by chapter on. You don't have to read the whole thing you know in one go, um, and just tell herself before going to sleep, you are not a rational thinker, and there is not very much you can do uh, to become one. So that was a little bit of self-awareness that I got after I read this book that I'm just probably not as is every, uh, as is everyone else. So you know that was an
1: interesting one that I definitely recommend. That's so interesting. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. And actually, I didn't. Really know what it was about, but that's definitely piqued my interest. Are
0: mm-hmm. you really Petra? It's it's definitely been recommended to me a few times, and a friend of mine who I hold in very high regard was reading it and told me that I absolutely have to read it. So I bought it. So it's in my Kindle library. Has it been opened? No. Will it? (laughs) Potentially. Maybe, maybe, you know, this weekend, um, you know, as we head into sort of the halfway point of this lockdown in London,
1: I'll crack it open. Let's see. I definitely recommend that. Well, thank you very much, Esha. I think you've definitely left an impression on mine and Petra's reading lists. Um, So (laughs) I appreciate you being opening on this with us for our question time
2: definitely it was great
1: to be on and great
2: to be chatting to you both thanks for having me
1: yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been really cool i really think that um you know being able to showcase the way that different funds work and the slightly different augmentations that different ones adopt and the different roles that exist in certain funds is, is really interesting and we're building up such a cool picture of that through the guests so i'm really really pleased that you could come on and share your perspective with us.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I've been listening to some of the, you know, associated podcasts myself and um, it's actually quite interesting to listen to it because, you know, when you listen to all the other VC podcasts and it's all the partners that have come on, um, it's really great. But, you know, they're just talking about how they're investing, how to look at deals. It's not about the day-to-day life of VC and how, Uh, we all operate and work. So, yeah, very fascinating. I've been listening to uh, quite a few of them and really enjoying it.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That honestly means a lot. Uh, I think
0: we had just two more things, um, Esha. One, are you hiring at the moment? And two, for any founders, um, entrepreneurs who are working within the spaces that you mentioned earlier, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Mm. So we're not hiring on our investment team right now. We actually just finished hiring a couple of interns on our team. Um, but next year, we're likely to be, you know, hiring basically someone who does what you do, Petra at Manta Ray. Um, so that's something we'll hopefully do next year, um, but not, not hiring right now. And, um, you know, for anyone that wants to get in touch, I mean, uh, we are constantly talking to founders who are just sort of reaching out to us or people who are just, you know, sending an email or a LinkedIn message, um, or, you know, even a DM on Twitter, where we're very open and happy to chat to anyone that just wants to email me and grab a coffee,
0: that virtual coffee, rather. Uh, Just, yeah, happy to do that. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Esha. It was, it was such a pleasure to have you on. And yes, please do keep us uh, in the loop um, when you guys hire. And I'm sure that there's a little Associated shout out we can do um, to let our listeners know. Otherwise, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of Associated. As always, please follow us at associated underscore pod on Twitter and email us at associatedpodcast at gmail.com. Bye guys. Bye.